2: Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you, whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. Julia Samuel is one of the UK's leading psychotherapists who joins me on this episode of the podcast to talk about among other things, being prepared for, processing and navigating change. What incredible timing. This show is coming out during the COVID-19 pandemic and when many of you listening will be on lockdown, social distancing, self-isolating and all of those positive actions we are all engaged in to help minimise the impact of the virus. While our conversation is definitely relevant right now, It also applies to anyone listening at any time, and even though there is talk about the current situation, we don't linger on it, speculate or do anything other than to share our mechanisms for coping, which hopefully may be helpful to you. Julia's speciality as a psychotherapist is grief, and she also helped to launch Child Bereavement UK as its founder patron. She was also awarded an MBE in the 2015 New Year's Honours list, but when I spoke to her she was very happy for me to just call her Julia Samuel. Her new book, This Too Shall Pass, ponders the question that if change is the natural order of things, then why do so many of us struggle? That change might be leaving school, first jobs, transition into adulthood, going through the menopause or retirement, changes we have control over and changes we don't. In her book, Julia draws on hours of conversations with her patients to show how we can all learn to adapt and actually thrive during our most difficult and transformative experiences. In this conversation, Julia and I discuss the strategies for navigating change, why knowing yourself is important. Plus, I ask her how you begin to understand who you are if you've never actually asked yourself that question. Like... (laughs) So When people say, um, you know, really knowing who you are, really knowing yourself is so important. What if you really don't want to pull at that thread? I'm just saying, we discuss it. We also discuss the importance of having a growth mindset, how change has a pattern and a rhythm, the importance of giving yourself time to adapt and how to center to yourself when you really need it. Seriously, seriously. Her tip for finding a place of calm, which Julia shares at the end of the episode, just towards the end of the episode actually, is utterly brilliant. I loved hearing it and I totally got into it and i hope you appreciate it too this conversation was recorded via the internet for obvious reasons and you may notice that there's a wee a wee jump when we're talking about emotional toolboxes where we lost our connection for a couple of minutes but other than that it's all good so please do stick with it the links to julia her book and everything we, we discuss will be in the show notes which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode but it really is my pleasure to bring you this conversation Julia Samuel on The Emma Gunn Show. It is my pleasure and delight to welcome to the podcast the wonderful Julia Samuel, author, psychiatrist or a psychotherapist. I mean, the list is endless. Have, did I just get it wrong?
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'm a psychotherapist, so I'm not medically um, qualified. Oh, is that the
2: difference?
3: Yes. So to be a psychiatrist, you have to be medically qualified first and you prognosti- prognosticate and you give medication. I'm not qualified to give medication. So I'm a talking oh, treatment specialist.
2: Oh, interesting. Okay. See, I didn't know the difference. And now not only do I know the difference, but we all do. But <laughs> you um, you are potentially the the perfect person to speak to right now because uh as of uh 12 hours ago our prime minister put us on lockdown we're in the middle of the corona crisis and for a lot of people it is a huge um scary uncertain time of change and i feel like you're the change whisperer
3: well i mean yeah i mean in some ways it's so huge and overwhelming I feel very small, but I have, you know, and I don't feel like what I know matches the enormity of it. But I also do know from experience that it is very small things and basic understandings that help us manage even huge catastrophic changes. So I have to remind myself I do know my stuff, but it feels a bit um, scary for everyone right now, me included. But I certainly want to get out there any of the understandings or all of the understandings I have. And if any of them work for people, you know, then I would be doing my job and what I want from writing books and working as a therapist.
2: And so I think given the times that we're in, there was so much that I could talk to you about, but I just wondered if you, for anyone who is listening to this, who is feeling so unsettled, so uncertain, is there, is there almost a toolkit an emergency toolkit <laughs> like you keep in the boot of your car that will help a person navigate a period of change
3: that definitely is i mean as a kind of overarching thing everyone is different so everyone's response will be different and that will be informed by their experiences you know how much loss or difficulty they've already experienced and how that will give them a belief system that everything will be okay or everything will not be okay. So that will have a big impact. Their kind of Mm -hmm. psychological makeup, what kind of person they are, which will be informed by their childhood and also their sort of genetic makeup. And their economic position, how much support they have and the scale of the worries that this virus brings for them. So everyone's internal landscape will be different, but it, it will be on the spectrum of one end where people really feel they don't cope to the other end of the spectrum where people feel quite resilient and kind of feel that they can sit tight and they're okay and everything in between. So there'll be an enormous response. But the the toolkit will work for most people. But, and the big kind of um, difference is that people have to choose the aspects of the toolkit uniquely that fit for themselves so there are lots of generic things that we're all suggesting I'm by no means the the whisperer I mean you know all the kind mm. of counseling organizations doctors websites are saying the same things as me because they jolly well work um mm. because it takes commitment um so should I just go through what I think they are with that bit? I'd love you to I think that'd be great okay. thank you Um, I think the first thing to let yourself know is that whatever you're feeling is normal and right now most people won't be feeling normal most people will feel either very scared or they'll feel numb or they'll feel um, angry confused and you know every day it feels like we've been given bad news and Grief starts at the point of diagnosis, and I think the whole nation, the whole world has been given a diagnosis that is a living loss. So it's a kind of grief, and it has all the components of grief from death, if that makes sense. So all the feelings mm. that people have when they're told that someone they love is going to die from cancer, we have the potential to feel and we I think we feel it, we felt it increasingly every day, and I felt mm. it really profoundly last night the news, you know, I felt anxious, I felt shocked, I sort of had didn't want to face the reality of it. And so that's an that is it isn't a good response. It's not the one I would choose, but it's a normal response. And the feelings mm. of grief are kind of numbness, denial, anger, going to fury, sadness, confusion, um, not knowing what to believe. And you can feel all of those things at the same time or, depending on your personality type, more of one than the other. And so mm. part of the, the work of people's toolbox is to know themselves rather than distract themselves and find ways for who they find themselves to be. So kind of begin to recognize what kind of person am I? Am I the person that goes straight for a, a tinny of beer and five whiskeys? Or am I the person that shouts at my partner? I mean, I've seen so, so, I mean, the great thing about this, there are some really funny messages going around of, you know, how yeah. families and families are <laughs> behaving and black humor does really help. That has to be in the toolbox. But to know what your default mechanism is, you know, I mean, I don't know what would your default mechanism be. Would it be to get organized, to get tidy, to what would yours be?
2: mine that i've sort of uh, created over the recent years is to to go with it and reframe it convert it so if something negative happens convert it to well this is what i wanted do <laughs> you know you know well this maybe this will be good for me
3: because so i can't because if thing. i have no control over it so what are you how are you framing this one
2: I'm framing it as I have absolutely no control over it. My staying inside is an act of love to the people I care about and my wider community as a whole. And uh, it's so so me being in my flat all day is me actually being very loving.
3: (laughs) That's a pretty good reframe. I think that's really good, isn't it? And that you know, one of the in the things in the toolbox is the Serenity Prayer, isn't it? is to accept the things mm. you cannot change, change the things you can, and have the wisdom to know the difference. And in a way, mm. you're using your wisdom about recognising what you can do, what you can't do, and giving it a supportive frame that allows you not to go bonkers, basically, mm. isn't it? which is much more self-compassionate to yourself.
2: But can I be really honest with you without trying to get a free session? <laughs> yeah. Is in the past... I think I, I was so scared of change that I was almost brittle and rigid about things, wanting things to stay the same. And that didn't serve me very well <laughs> because change is inevitable.
3: So that's a big theme of my book, which is that the research is robust, is mm. that those that try and block change and, as you did, armour themselves against it by insisting they're not going to let it tell them what to do or, you know, they refuse to accept it. They have less joy and less success in life. And also when change comes again, which, as you said, it inevitably will, um, it hits them harder. And Mm. the research also shows that change happens... Every seven to 10 years. I mean, in some way it happens every day, you know, the events around mm. have change and certainly at the moment it's happening to the, to the globe. But, um, so we, you know, my big message in my book is that we have to find ways to support ourselves through the change to adapt and grow and eventually thrive. But the facing of it, like we're in now is normally uncomfortable. It's either extremely painful Mm. or uncomfortable. And a change that you don't want is obviously much more difficult than a change you choose. But all change, even if it's choosing to have a baby, choosing to marry, choosing to move country for your job, all of the not knowing, the uncertainty, the unfamiliarity, the lack of safety, all of that is disturbing. Because as human beings, we crave safety. We kind of want excitement in our brains, but when it actually happens, um, Mm. we normally feel scared. I mean, some people, the small few, love it and jump for it. You know, they may have been brought up in an environment where there was constant change, so in some ways it's their normal. Mm. Um, But should we go back to the toolbox? So the toolbox is, so the toolbox, first of all, to know yourself, to know what your kind of default mode response is. And you can't change what your natural response is, but you can support yourself to do other behaviors that give you more emotional bandwidth. So that's the thing that you're looking for. Because when you're in shock, like you are when you're given this news, you want to, your whole body goes on alert, it goes into fight, flight, or freeze system, you know, it becomes hyper-vigilant. And that means that you're um, one part of your autonomic nervous system, the parasympathetic, goes offline. So your ability to think, to be empathic, and to kind of be aware of of everybody else goes offline too. So you want to do everything you can to regulate your system, to bring yourself. If you're in fourth gear when you're on hyper kind of alert, you want to do physical behaviours and make choices that bring you back down to first or second gear. Does, does that make sense? Mm. So the behaviors mm. that you need to do is exercise every day. It can be a 12-minute app on your phone. It can be the great Joe Wicks um, on YouTube exercise classes mm. doing every morning at nine. It can be dancing in your kitchen. Dancing and yoga are the best exercises for trauma, the best evidence exercises for trauma. So, if you've been traumatised, is that because of the flow? It's because of the flow and the and um, Mm. the way it connects your body together, the the thinking and the feeling and the moving. It Mm. switches off the trauma part of your brain. Um, Wow! Yeah. So, exercise, any kind of breathing. So, like the guy you spoke to before about the brain, you know, you don't need to do headspace or be a mindful yogi to breathe you need to do any kind of breathing the one i think is really effective is you breathe in for seven the count of seven and you breathe out for the count of 11 and you do that for-
2: and would you mind just explaining to listeners why that works what actually happens physiologically because i think we all sort of get the the vibe that if you breathe, if the, your out-breath is longer than your in-breath, there's an impact. But are you able to describe what that impact actually is and why it
3: has a physical totally. benefit? So when you go on to hyper-alert and fight and flight, your body gets primed to fight or run from the tiger. So your your um, heart rate increases, Your um, all of your impulses and the um, hormones in your body are fired up. Um, to do something very quick. And so you' you're short of breath to enable you to run or to fight, so that you can you can um, respond very fast. When you're safe, like when you're at home sitting on the sofa watching telly, your body winds down and the breath slows down. So, that you know that you're safe. So, it switches off the fight or flight response. Does that make sense? Mm. So, mm. it tells you that you're calm. So, the thing, the combination of running and doing any kind of breathing is that it's a double whammy to your body to tell you you're not in danger. Mm. And to add to that, if you do some kind of journal, it stops your mind wheeling with fears. So if you kind of do it on a notebook on your phone, have a little notebook that you keep by your bed, Whatever you do it, if you just write down what you're feeling, seeing it in black and white, stops you projecting into these storylines you create for yourself, which are always much, you know, are limitlessly terrifying. And so the combination, mm-hmm. and then give yourself a treat. So you make your you love coffee, make yourself a delicious cup of coffee or um, enjoy a, a really lovely shower, have a delicious breakfast, um, taste a fantastic orange, small treats, but they're consciously um, intentionally done as a treat. L- listen to something very funny. Listen to music. If you do those regularly, we're habit forming beings. So, the more habitual we are, if we do them more or less regularly at the same sort of time every day in the same sort of place, which we certainly will be over the next few months, it te- your body expects you to, to do your exercise. It expects you to calm down. It expects a treat. So it almost does it. You're wired. It almost does it for you before you start. So it keeps your whole physical system in a lower gear.
2: And I would love to go back to something uh, you said uh, previously, actually, in terms of all of this, because we keep coming back to the sense of self. And it was, um, you, you mentioned knowing yourself. And I wondered, um, how how do you, like if you are listening to this podcast, and you're thinking, I actually don't know who I am or what I stand for, and maybe that's why. The world seems to knock me around because I I'm not rooted to anything. I'm certainly not connected to myself. How can one figure out who they are and get to know themselves? And I ask that question. It might seem like a very big, impossible question to answer, but I asked that question because um, I, I feel like I've been through that, and it was very confronting. But it was a very important sort of rite of passage that I didn't take until my
3: late thirties. I mean, I think it is a a huge question Um, and it is a crucial question because unless you know what's going on in you, how can you know what you want, what you don't want, what's your truth in connection to other people, what your values are and so how do you keep yourself kind of with self-belief and confidence um, and how you present yourself to the world would be hugely influenced by your relationship with yourself so it's the most important relationship you have that have, so i mean the other message in my book is the relationships are, are key in our life the sort of fundamental of our life that when we book, look back on our life or even look back at a time like this it will be the love and connection to others that matters to us most more than mm-hmm. you know bank balances that we've built or success that we've got um But you can't really be in relationship with others until you know yourself. So, I mean, you know, this is a huge question that we could spend hours looking at. But I think first of all, be aware of what's going on in your head, what I call your shitty committee. So, what are the messages that you're saying to yourself? What's the what's the constant kind of whirring in your mind? And if you just jot those down, that is the first insight of what. Is, is going on in you and then as you begin to develop that you need to ask yourself it's do you remember there was that film with Julia roberts about she at the boyfriend's breakfast whatever they had they had poached eggs she would have poached eggs if they liked boiled eggs they'd have boiled eggs so she didn't choose what she wanted for herself like, something about the brides i can't remember what it was called but actually okay. but if you turn on in your mind, being aware of what you actually like. Do you like this music? Do you mm-hmm. like this food? Do you like this TV? Do you warm towards that kind of person? So but sort of be more self-aware about what your responses are out in the world. And one of the big difficulties that is that people anesthetize themselves. They anesthetize themselves with screen time, with busyness, with work with alcohol and so that shuts down what is going on inside you Um, so in some ways you have to slow down to know yourself I mean what can we bear to can you bear to answer what how did you discover more about yourself what worked for you actually
2: in the first instance it was probably disconnecting from other people (laughs) because I was so easily swayed by other people's opinions or what I thought their opinions were so actually, I've sort of isolated myself, which is maybe why I'm not having too much of a hard time at the moment.
3: <laughs> I mean, I think in some ways you have to take yourself out to know yourself to put yourself back in. I remember mm-hmm. um one of my first kind of uh moments of realization was i mean it sounds unbelievable um i was I was married, I had children, and i i realized for the first time, aged about thirty two that the seasons brought different light and weather. I mean, I was so switched off. I hadn't noticed Mm. that it was dark at eight o'clock in the morning in the winter. I hadn't noticed that it was light in the summer. I had literally been tunnel visioned, like getting through my day, getting on, pushing forward. I hadn't noticed the seasons. They had been completely Mm. blocked to me. And that was an amazing. It was an amazing moment. And
2: was it was it amazing, or was it was it sort of a mixture of sad and beautiful
3: at the same yes. time? I think often in therapy it's mm. bittersweet. That when people recognise mm. what they've wanted or what they've missed, and they fully take on board what that is, it's a moment of deep, deep sadness, but also a kind of relief because it unfreezes them it then opens them up Mm. to be more aware and i mean one way of recognizing if you're if you don't know yourself is your emotional bandwidth so if you think of yourself emotionally like a elastic band if you have joy one end of it and pain the other if you block the pain you incrementally also block your capacity for joy because you can't choose how much you shut yourself off. Mm. So your ability to feel can be very narrow. I mean, we all know people like that, and particularly from you know, I'm much older than you, but my parents' generation, you know, they fought in wars. They were brought up by people who fought in the First World War, so they really did keep calm and carry on. But they had very, very little emotional insight or or understanding. And they, if you ask them, if you ask one of my parents how they felt, they literally couldn't have told you whether they were happy, sad, furious, or bored. I mean, they would have had no idea what yeah. their what was going on in them um, because they were so shut down. And, and they had to be. They didn't have the luxury, as we do, to kind of think emotionally what you need or what you want. Um, and we have the knowledge now. You know, in the 21st century, we have so much more understanding. And I hope that people really use it for themselves, that they are in the century where they can really access the support that they need. You know, you said in other podcasts, the people to sort of really go out and get the support they need. There is so much available um, so that they can know themselves and be self-compassionate and get to live authentically, that what they feel, what they believe, what they want, what they know, about themselves on the inside matches enough the outside of what they're doing, seeing, behaving and who they're connecting with. And that's what you want. I mean, there's never that perfect fit, but you want a core part of you to kind of to be authentic.
2: Well, uh, when I was reading the book and also listening to you talk previously, it does seem that the, the more you go within yourself to figure out who you are, the sort of one of the side effects or one of the benefits that you get from doing that is a growth mindset, because if you're comfortable in yourself, then you can handle more. And I was reading some of it thinking, gosh, when I was in this place where I just didn't want anything to change, except for the stuff I wanted to happen, (laughs) I was really (laughs) miserable and probably not a very nice person to be around And it was because, and and I wondered what that would have looked like to other people. Actually, I would have thought, God, Emma, Emma's such a, she's so uptight. (laughs) Someone needs to take the rod out of her backside, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And um, obviously that's not how, I mean, that certainly wasn't what I wanted people to think of me. But um, it, it does seem that if you find a place of calm and I, I dither about talking this way because there's still a part of me that goes (laughs) bullshit. But if you find a place of calm, the benefits are so many, but one of them is that you
3: do feel that you can handle more than you could previously. I mean, there's so many things that you've said that I want to kind of key into, but um, I think first of all, one of the things to acknowledge is that when you're very cut off, you often have the feelings that you don't want to have and you become the person that you don't want to be and then you get the response that you don't want. It's a kind of cruel side of life is that when you're pretty miserable, you act miserable, you say horrible things and then people stay away from you and then you hate them more and it sets up that kind of cycle and then it feeds your belief like people are horrible or the world is dangerous. Mm. Whereas if you look at someone happy-go-lucky, who you look at with sort of hate because they're living the life that you (laughs) want, it's because they trust. And trust is a key thing. And it sounds like running through everything you've just said was a fundamental inability to trust yourself, to trust other people, to trust the world. And in some ways, you do need that growth mindset and you need hope to trust you know, and hope isn't just a feeling. It is a way of thinking and it is an attitude, you know, that you you have to have a plan with hope and you have to have a plan B and you have to have self-belief and that will build hope. And then it's more likely that your hopes will be realized. And that's part of the growth mm-hmm. mindset. On the other side of that, right now, I think, so we're wired evolutionarily, if I can say that, from from sort of our early tribal selves to have a negative bias, to look for danger, so that when we were out in the Savannah Plains, mm. living in small tribes where life was day-to-day threatening and dangerous, so that negative bias is being triggered right now because we're seeing um, danger. And it triggers the fight flight freeze response to protect us. So we right now have to work extra hard doing using the tools I've suggested to switch our system into a calmer response, which then, of course, connects to the growth mindset where you trust a bit more, you feel a bit better, you open a bit more, you get more of the response that you want. And so you have the positive cycle rather than the negative cycle. And then... Um...
2: Uh, one thing I wanted to also talk about is with change and the growth mindset for me is that if you growth mindset is like change
3: mindset like I, I'm cool with it and so one of the characteristics <laughs> And also the other thing I meant to, can I interrupt you the other thing I meant to say is that none of this is mm-hmm. perfect all the time it's we're messy you know change is messy untidy unpredictable so as long as it's an imperfect attitude of more or less growth mindset. It doesn't mean that you don't wake Mm. up in a filthy mood, kind of feeling scared. Um, It it isn't like you're sort of happy, skippy all the time. It's that you're aware of it and you know what to do to support yourself in it. Um, I
2: I agree with that. Because I always thought that that was what the other side of where I was would look like or the other end of where I was would look like. It would just be that I was fundamentally happy bright bright and breezy person but it you can be that but it you have to do the work in the gym the mental gym every day sometimes a bit more than others exactly
3: and you can't Marie Kondo your feelings you know you can't hide <laughs> no. really draw and label them and put lovely colors on them that this is my happy self that I'm going to be today it's to allow yourself to be who you are and support yourself in it So one of the Mm. things about a negative mindset is often we turn our distress from it, our fear of change, against ourselves first. So that shitty committee becomes incredibly loud, like I'm doing this wrong, everyone else is doing it right, I'm useless, I'm no good, I'm a failure, I'm weak, Um, I'm going to fragment. So you have this very loud attack on yourself, which, of course, again... Um, turns up the volume of your fight flight freeze response and you kind of need more um, everything I say I want to say afterwards does that make sense does that make sense yes it is. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, another thing that I love uh, that
2: I, I sort of really uh, really struck me actually was uh, this idea that the siren call of change is always always discomfort Yeah. And yet I do feel, uh, again, that sort of thinking that everything's sunny and perky and looks like the opening of a lovely Hollywood movie. (laughs) That shouldn't be what it is (laughs) all the time, but we can sometimes buy into that uh, false reality. And um, actually, if you are in a period of, if you are feeling something's not right, or if you feel uncomfortable, whatever that may be, ill at ease, is just again to use the word that seems to be my obsession at the moment is to reframe it and say oh this is because i need to take some action somewhere let me let me try and figure out what that is you're
3: 100 percent right it's information so if you think of yourself as an iceberg and the third that shows above the waterline is what you say and what people see two-thirds of you is below the waterline is what you're feeling um and the promptings for change come below the waterline. So they can be very sharp and big and shake you up above, or they can be little signals, you know, of, oi, this isn't quite right. And the key mm. is to be aware of them and and not to block them. You know, overall, in all kinds of change, whether it's adapting to this coronavirus and learning how to live indoors with our family all of the time or on our own, all of the time, is the things that we do to block it are in the long term the things that do us harm. Mm. So that we need to support ourselves to allow the discomfort or the pain at the other end and to express it. So that might be punching a pillow, it might be talking to your friends, it might be writing a journal, it might be dancing to music it might be gardening if we're lucky enough to have a garden so we but we need to find a way of expressing what we feel
0: and then the- to find out if it's right for you.
1: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. many to get 30 30 to get 30, I bet you get 20 20 to 20, get 20, 20 I bet you get 15 15 15 15, just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at
0: mintmobile.com/switch.
1: $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time
3: unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com the natural healing of the body allows us to adapt and change because we you know we know from charles darwin evolutionarily i can never say that word we <laughs> from the survival of the fittest we we are wired to change we that's mm-hmm. how we survive so but we have to put in place the things that allow us to rather than block it because then we get stuck and have that kind of armoring tinny thing. That, mm. back.
2: And actually one of the things I, one of my sub questions on this is what are the very, are there? Are there <laughs> I'm very impressed. <laughs> one of the um, uh, things I wanted to ask you about is if there are boundaries that one puts in place that will prevent them from being able to change you may think that you want it and I wondered whether it's things like denial and as you've said earlier like being uh busy and distracting yourself and then also you've talked a lot about um listening and the importance of listening and uh cultivating a real skill with that are they you may be sitting here listening to this thinking I want change but then without realising that you have these self-sabotaging behaviours, you might actually be doing things that are blocking you from making those changes. And I wondered, I mean, is there like a a tick list of what those are?
3: I mean, I think one of the things to recognise is that change happens much slower and takes much longer than we want. And often it's incremental small adaptations that help us change Mm. over time. So that um, someone listening now who is very kind of thrown by what is happening, hates the fact that normal routine has been completely um, thrown away, that they're stuck in a sort of environment that they want to get out of and they feel claustrophobic. Their instinct might be to, like we talked before, either to shut down or shout at everybody at the extreme ends of it. And the thing that will let them know that they can change, that they can have a gross growth, growth mindset, is to become aware of what they do, and then say, what is the thing beneath that behavior that is prompting it? Because it's normally fear, it's it's fear of being hurt or an expression of hurt. And then if they can say, let themselves know what that fear is, mm. name it, listen to themselves, maybe write it down, that will be an amazing first step in um, the ability to adapt and change because they'll know what's going on. And then if you think, I'm frightened and, or I'm, I'm hurt, the behaviors I'm doing are doing the absolute opposite to guarantee I don't get what I want. I'm either screaming at someone or I'm pushing everybody away. Actually, what I need right now is a hug or I need to, to go on a platform and talk to someone I trust and like and tell them what the earth is going on in me or that I just need to see their face and I need to tell them I feel like shit. Um mm. then you then you get your needs actually met it's a bit like Mm -hmm. using food to make you feel full it never really you know to make you feel if you feel empty people overeat if they feel emotionally empty not just hungry but emotionally empty they use food um to make to sort of fool themselves into thinking they don't feel empty but when they realize it's actually emotional emptiness they feel then they connect to other people and that's what allows them not to use food. Mm, mm. (laughs) Um, (laughs) A lot of people will be using food, don't you? I mean, I can see my eye going towards the crunchy bars. Well, I, there have been a
2: lot of memes about, um, you know, stockpiling food and eating it all in a very short amount of time Um, because not we're I guess we're in that uh, kind of, state now where we tend to sort of buy as we need or i certainly have been previously Mm -hmm. Uh, you just have to think a little differently about all of that kind of stuff but yes i know quite a few of my friends who are like i'm going to need to buy a whole new
3: wardrobe after this (laughs) because it's comforting it's comforting for about five minutes Mm. it doesn't really do the business that's Mm. the thing if you're hungry and you eat then it's satisfying if you're scared or lonely and feel empty and you eat you feel terrible afterwards Mm. because you just and then you hate yourself and then you turn on yourself and then you say i'm not going to do it again and then you feel so ghastly you do it again
2: Mm. yes that is a cycle (laughs) that i know a lot about (laughs) um One of the other things about uh, change that I really wanted to uh, unpick with you actually is this idea that when you're in it, and when you wrote about this, it really reminded me of when I was experiencing and feeling depression and was depressed. I think one of the characteristics was, this is never going to change. And so I'm not going to do anything to potentially make it better because what if it makes it worse? It's already bad. I'm already really not having a very good time. And it made it made me very inert. And um, you've talked about in the process of change. Forgive me if I uh, articulate it incorrectly and please feel free to correct me. But when it's bad, it's easy to think it will always be like this. But one of the characteristics of change is that is it right to say it will get better or that the change will just lead to a different set of circumstances that won't be what you're feeling right now?
3: Yeah, that it changes. Mm. So I think one of the images and it's on the cover of my book is that the feelings of change are experienced like a wave, Mm. like they, they come up in response and they can be very intense. And if you allow them to do their natural thing, They go through you. You think it's never, ever going to end, and then they do. They crash through, and you've done what you need to do. You've talked to someone, or you've vented, or you've moved, or you've screamed, or whatever you've done. And then the feelings, the intensity of them release you, and you feel kind of washed up Mm -hmm. on the beach. The wave has come through you, but you feel calmer. It's like when you've really cried hard. You know, you feel released, Mm -hmm. and that is that process that you've just described. But the thing is, if you go to that top of that wave when it's at its worst and you use a lot of thinking and behaviours to block it, there's many things that you kind of can fool yourself. One is you think somehow there are some gods or some power outside of yourself that's watching and the god is going to come down and smite you if you let yourself have hope. You know what I mean? That the... Mm kind of have this magical thinking is I'm not going to try and do anything to make myself feel better because A, I'm not going to show them that I believe I'm worth it. I'm not going to dare to do it because I don't want to fail at it. And I'm not going to show the gods because if they do, they're always after me, they're going to come and get me. Mm. It's about that trust that you have to kind of dare You know, Brenny Brown is really good at talking about this. Mm. You have to dare to let yourself have the courage to be vulnerable, to feel what you're feeling. And then another feeling always emerges. Mm. And it's, again, to do with hope, too. Um, That if you have no hope that there's light at the end of the tunnel, even just a glimmer, then it's very difficult to sustain the place that you're in and you get more depressed. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, hope in the end is the alchemy that turns a life around. Quote, um, wow. Julia Crivens,
2: just <laughs> yeah. made me, giving me chills. Could, would you mind saying that again? It was amazing. Okay.
3: <laughs> alchemy is the thing that turns a life around. No, mm-hmm. hope is the alchemy. Hope. <laughs> I can't even quit myself. Hope is the alchemy that turns a life around mm. fundamentally, even just a small spark of it. because if you get very rigid and fixed that I am not going to have hope, I have no hope, then you do stay in that dark tunnel. And that is mm. very, very, very depressing.
2: Mm.
3: And to that end, I was actually listening to a podcast.
2: I was out on my um government approved daily exercise walk this morning. And I was listening to a podcast with um an expert, Peter Diamandis, I think is how you say his name. And he's an expert in all things, including uh, the pandemic. And he said a characteristic of a pandemic is it gets very bad and then it ends.
3: So it's like a wave.
2: Yeah. <laughs> he's like, look at the look at the graph, look at the data. It will come to an end. So an end might not be in sight per se, but the characteristic of a pandemic is that it will come to an end, which I took great deal of hope and uh, comfort in.
3: I do. I mean, and I've seen quite a lot of graphs that show that. I mean, the, in Italy, for instance, they've had two days where the number of cases is less and the number of deaths is deaths is less. And they need that to be sustained for the next few days. But then, then you can trust in the cycle of a pandemic is that it goes to a peak and then it drops away if we all do the behaviours. Mm. And that way can give us hope here and I hope it will sustain people to really take seriously the distancing, the social distancing, because that is the thing that will block it from stop it kind of reaching a worse height of the wave and not yeah. Um, One thing I'm curious
2: about, uh, and I wonder if you have any insight on this, is... Okay, so the pandemic comes to an end. Change always inevitably uh, changes again. There's an evolution in change and things won't always be bleak, black, dark or whatever it might feel currently. What is some what, what happens afterwards? And I say this because I think a lot of us are thinking about life going back to normal. A lot of us are thinking about will life ever be the same again? What What's the... What's the way to navigate the end of change or the newness with some sort of in a fashion that serves you
3: best? So the way that the research looks at this, and I've seen it with hundreds of clients, is first of all, you have to acknowledge the level of the loss, the pain of the loss, the cost of the loss, what it's meant so you can't deny the consequences of what has happened. You have to include them and, and that will be part of your new normal. So I think there will be no one in this country who will leave this pandemic feeling the same. I think we will all feel changed by it, some in some small ways, some in very big ways but we all need to navigate and find our new way of um, negotiating ourself and the world, and that will be a new normal. One of the big um, uh, was, um, outcomes for coming through something enormously traumatic is that people who do survive, who stayed connected and did the things that supported them, what they say is that their perception of the world and themselves is changed. And that isn't necessarily for the worse. So that their perception of what matters in the world is expanded. So their vision of what the world means to them and what matters in the world is really changed, and that feels positive. Mm -hmm. The fact that they survived something that they thought they would never survive gives them a, a more robust sense of themselves that they sort of feel I'm stronger. I got through this, that I never thought I would get through this. I thought I was fragile, weak, whatever. I'm actually someone who, who is stronger than I knew. I have more resources than I ever imagined. And that people, certainly in my experience, ha- are much stronger than they ever believe themselves to be. That doesn't mean that they don't suffer. That doesn't mean that they don't feel pain. But they are, have the capacity to heal and rebuild their life, engage with life in a way that they feel growth. So in, in our world, it's called post-traumatic growth. And mm-hmm. the research was done in, from the Paddington rail crash disasters, from the Marchioness boat disaster. A lot of the research for this came from that. And that we have a natural capacity to heal if we support ourselves. Mm -hmm. And the biggest single predictor of outcomes is the thing I keep saying, and so I get boring, is the love and connection to others. That Mm -hmm. we feel supported in relation to ourselves, but also the people around us through this. Mm -hmm. And that we're learning new ways of doing that, aren't we? That are going to have to be enough.
2: Well, um, it's interesting when you uh, talked about family and uh, functional and dysfunctional relationships. There's love in both a functional and dysfunctional relationship. Um, but I, am I right in that my interpretation from what you've said previously is that in a functional dynamic, you believe everyone is on your side, whereas in a dysfunctional dynamic, you might not feel that that's the case?
3: That's absolutely right. But also, the number of positive interactions tend to be more in a functional family and less in a dysfunctional family. Mm. What I talk about with family systems is the territory of love, of rivalry between family members is often the hidden ground where all the dysfunction resides, because it doesn't feel like there's enough love and consistency and resource within that family system. So people sort of want to knock each other out in order to make sure they get what they want. It's a bit like going for the loo roll in the in the supermarket. You can't <laughs> right, don't yeah. give. Don't give a, I was going to say a shit, which is rather appropriate. You don't give. You don't care about anyone else. You're just going to get your 165 rolls, and mm-hmm. that would be the same in a dysfunctional family where you fight for the connection, for the attention, for the love, and you have to put somebody else down in order to make yourself bigger. Mm-hmm enough family this isn't a family that doesn't have rise it isn't a family that is completely perfectly imperfect but on the whole there is an invisible glue that you're more or less on each other's side mm. that you tolerate each other's annoyances and difficulties and also you fight you definitely fight but you repair after the fight dysfunctional families they often bring back the previous fight because they've never done the work to really work through what was going on in the fight, so it gets every fight gets reignited from a previous fight, so they bring up, and the last time you did this, you did that. It's never repaired and restored.
2: um does that bring us neatly onto to forgiveness? Yeah, tell me what you think about forgiveness. Well, the reason I say that is because I feel as though um you're talking about the things haven't been resolved. And uh, sometimes you can have it out with someone. I'm sure listeners will understand. You can have it out with someone and nothing actually gets solved. It's just that all of the thoughts and feelings and emotions are in the air now and they're public. Um, Whereas actually uh, in a lot of the reading I do and in a lot of the stuff I try to do for my own health, mind and body sanity, I keep coming back to the fact that forgiveness is so key and actually you can't move forward until you have forgiven. And uh, there's that uh, study that Vishen Lakhani talked about in his um, presentation where he talked about the the brainwaves of Buddhist monks who've been meditating for decades and are just like on this Zen frequency and then strapping up people to a machine who are encouraged to and walk through the steps of forgiving someone who has done great harm and how their brains actually experience a very similar frequency because forgiveness actually has that that physiological effect on the body and I guess I come on to forgiveness because I, it just keeps hitting me in the face in everything that I'm reading that it's a really powerful tool for reaching that um, calm place that we talked about earlier and that sort of more centered place and even in understanding who you are and what your identity is
3: i think fundamentally you're right that when you invest emotional fury and blame or kind of attack onto someone else you know it uses you up that sort of thing like you 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 um shoot yourself and hope that they're going to die you know that mm. that it poisons you i think there are a couple of things that The the thing I find difficult about it is that it's sort of karma, karma, you know, you be your best self and forgive everyone. And and we're not all made Mm. with that. So I think there are a couple of steps on the way to it that are very helpful is, first of all, recognize how important this relationship is for you. So if this is a relationship that actually is not critical in your life and the person causes you more harm than good. Then maybe this isn't a relationship that you need to invest in. So if you think about love and hate, indifference is the opposite of love, not hate. Because when you're emotionally invested in someone, it's it's the same bandwidth. It's using up a lot of energy. And if you think about this person who keeps hurting you, if they're not a family member, do I really, is this really worth it? You know, and work that out for yourself if they really matter to you. The second one is accommodation. So that isn't the same as acceptance because it's less kind of zen and less gentle and loving. It's more a kind of recognition that the person has their faults, their difficulties, their annoyingness, the way they hurt you. But expand your response to that to accommodate it and let it happen without kind of hoping that this time they're going to be different so accept that they are who they are and it's you that changes so that you recognize and accommodate their crapness if you like and let that be part of your relationship with them because it's the things that you i see cycle over and over is that you you keep doing the same thing hoping they're going to be different so you forgive the friend that borrows your clothes and she gives it back to you trash and then you do it again and again and you think sometime they're going to be sorry give you a new dress or not trash it but they're probably not in this kind of small list of examples Mm. with families what the research shows is that if you cut off in families it costs you it's it's never for free so if you can find a way of accommodating or at the your end of it forgiving and accepting that is a much healthier place Mm. But sometimes the relationships are so toxic, and the love that you feel for them. So this is a family member. So you're wired to be connected. You're wired to be hurt. You can't cut that off. Mm. But if it's too much, you—that's ha- again another call that you have to kind of make for yourself. Mm. Um, but it's never for free. It always hurts.
2: That's so interesting. And I uh, had Jeff Thompson on the podcast recently, and he talked about—I talked about forgiveness with him. And I said, but then you have just let, you know, they've, they've you got over on you. Yeah. And he said, you're confusing forgiving
3: them with letting them off.
2: There's a big difference.
3: And also you're confusing forgiveness with power. Because mm-hmm. in the case that you've let them off, it's somehow that you have power and that you have to show them and they have to kowtow to you. And really what you want in a relationship is collaborative power, that you both have power. And again, it's that the serenity prayer, you know, accept the things that you cannot change and change the things you can. If you can't change them, you either have to accept them or or not see them.
2: And um, so finally, I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about panic because we've seen quite a lot of that recently. (laughs) Because one of the things you've said previously is that we don't make good decisions in a state of panic when we are in a state of panic. And... I feel like, you know, the period of time I talked about where I was, um, for want of a better expression, an asshole. I feel like I was in a constant state of panic, <laughs> worry, and just, uh, I just don't want anything to happen. And obviously, I wasn't making good decisions or being good to people. And what's, a, what's um, obviously, panic is a physiological, uh, natural stress response. But, um, well, is it really panic is maybe something that lingers? In. Yes.
3: So it comes from the same um, fight, flight, freeze response where you switch Mm -hmm. off. And there are two aspects of panic that you kind of be useful to remember. One is that 80% of decision making is informed by our previous experience. So if our experience has been, I'm someone that bad things happen to me, and so I am more likely to have bad outcomes from, say, this pandemic, I'm going to panic, then that is your belief system which will trigger your stress response. And then your thinking and your ability to slow down and think deeply will go offline. And then you will probably make a decision that is not necessarily the best decision. I mean, it might be a good decision, but it... It hasn't been fully responded to. Mm. So there's that. The other thing with panic is that we, you really need, I think we need the connection to another person to slow you down, that when we're on our own, you again, you play those videos in your head. But also we need to keep, keep our attention to today, to what I've got today, because panic is fired by our imagination of of the terrifying future that we are um, imagining, the sort of fire that we're seeing in the forest. So you need to haul yourself back and focus on today, You know, keep it in the day and the next few days, because then that gives you that sense of agency and control. I can control today. Today I can do my one exercise outside, I can stay in my flat. I can do the things that I find interesting and I can support myself talking to friends, make myself a nice meal, That you know, have a shower or whatever it does that calms me down. That I have control over and that will le- lower the level of panic. So one of the exercises I use with people with panic is if you close your eyes and you imagine a television screen and you see the image, the forest fire or whatever it is you've imagined that that feeds your panic. You take a breath, you switch in your mind the channel and you put on an image that is your safe place. Maybe it's a beach or the hill, a hill or somewhere that is a really safe place. You take a breath, you open your eyes and then you move your attention to doing something else. And every time that bad image comes up, if you do that exercise, it starts you start seeing the television screen quicker than the panic flows through your body. That is such a useful exercise.
2: Thank you so much for sharing that. That really is. I that
3: even that's made me feel calm just now. (laughs) Really? I tell you something else to do is everybody listening to this podcast is to close their eyes and choose their safe place. Mm. So mine is a a hill in Scotland and where you, you close your eyes, you breathe in the sights, what you can see, you breathe in the smell, you breathe in what you can hear, you take a breath, you really see it all and you do that for a few minutes and then that can be your, and you give it a name. Is it your safe place? Your calm place, your best place, whatever you call it. And anytime you can feel the early stirrings of panic, go somewhere you can sit on the loo if you're with other people, but go somewhere where you just breathe into that safe place and that will nurture you and restore you back to be in the day.
2: That's so lovely. That is so, that's such a good, free bit of download that you can do in your own brain to <laughs> prove panic how excellent i'm so glad that we got to speak i'm so i'm going to be presumptuous Good, here dead. but i'm so glad our first conversation was uh <laughs> was uh like this because i cannot yes. wait to actually do a face-to-face uh podcast with you at some point in the near future i'm sure because uh, there are a hundred other things that i want to um Unpick with you and really uh, tap into your expertise. But I think this is wonderful. And listeners, I do have to recommend with such high praise Julia's book, This Too Shall Pass. It is, it's really wonderful. And um yeah, it's such a great book.
3: Thank you so much for putting it out in the world. It's such a safe port. Do you know, I loved writing that book. I mean, you know, I'm a therapist, I'm not a writer. And although i am developing an, a new <laughs> identity of writer is changing i'm letting myself know that i'm a writer but there was yeah. something about that book that it it was everything i've learned and felt and thought about it just gave me an amazing outlet for my experience in the last 30 years and it I don't know, I just love doing it. I love just talking about the relationships I had with my clients. I love doing the research. I loved thinking about these things. So it was, yeah. And I hope that comes through, that sense of kind of engagement with it. I hope that comes through in my voice in the book. You, you know what I'm going to do?
2: There are certain bits I'm going to go back to and read with your voice in my head. Okay. And I'm so glad that listeners have got to hear your voice if they haven't read the book yet and then go on to find the book because if you the because I think if they read it with your knowing your voice I think it will actually amplify it in some way well it's on audible it, it's on audible with my voice well, I do love a bit of audible right that's I've got it I've got to, I've got my token I know what I'm doing this <laughs> afternoon I'm going to go back and revisit
3: you are sweet that is really it's so it's so amazingly fulfilling that I do it and I hope it's received well and it's helpful and then you say it it kind of makes my chest, makes me feel pink, you know, it's really nice, It's really, really nice to hear. Um, Well, thank you so much for your
2: time. I am going to put the links to the book, both the physical copy, the uh, Kindle copy and the Audible. Uh, ish, edition uh, in the show notes and obviously links to you and your social media and everything else Thanks. Um, but Julia thank you so much for being on the show
3: But thank you for being so thoughtful and sensitive and open that you kind of talked about yourself and you you really let it flow into you so it's like you're a role model of what I'm saying like you've become aware of yourself and so it's like you through the podcast you let the wave go up and let it kind of fall away and that felt very connecting and very real so it was a it was a lovely experience
2: wow my heart has just thrott- well def- you're definitely coming back on this show julie not no question you're coming back <laughs> we're staying in touch thank you so much Thank you so much for listening. I really, really appreciate your time as always. If you want to get in touch with me, please do email me at thebeautypodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. It is the best part of my day when I hear from you. If you don't want to send me an email, but you still want to get in touch, you can always DM me on Twitter and Instagram where I'm at Guns. Or if you want to chat to me or get the opinion of... A thousands of other listeners to this podcast then please do go to the show notes and click the link to join the Facebook group there are thousands of us in there and we would love to see you too all you have to do is answer some questions agree to the forum rules and you'll be welcomed in with open arms thank you so much for listening stay safe and I'll see you on the next one